0: The National Survey of Children's Health in 2018 said that half of children in the United States have experienced a childhood trauma. So 50% of kids in every classroom, in every sporting team, in, in every neighborhood have experienced trauma. But we all went through 2020 and kids had all of their normalcy activities and school and connections and resources and family and friends taken away in some extent for some amount of Of time. And so now I would suggest that every single child in the United States has experienced at least micro trauma.
1: Welcome to the Nonprofit Podcast Network. Our purpose and passion is to highlight a nonprofit organization in each episode, giving that organization an opportunity to tell their story in their words, to better inform and educate the respective communities they serve, as well as providing one more tool for them to share their message to constituents and donors. Our goal is to help build stronger communities through shared voices and to both encourage and support the growth of local nonprofit organizations through podcasting. My guest today on the Nonprofit Podcast Series is Tiffany Luffler, founder and executive director of The Alliance, defending the cause of kids and families. And what that really means, the Alliance, is what we're about to hear as Tiffany explains a most unusual story that brought her to the place she is today. Tiffany, welcome. Thank you, Jeff. So could you do me a favor? Tell me a little bit about what led to the intention to adopt two Haitian children? Absolutely.
0: Well, I, I grew up in an amazing family um, where my parents have been married for over 40 years and just had a really enjoyable and memorable childhood. And when I realized that other kids didn't have that. And it just shifted something in me to know that I'd really like to adopt. That was plan A for my husband and I. And it turns out after the 2010 Haitian earthquake, we both had the opportunity to go in country very early on. And we were supporting people in tent communities. And my husband got to go back to Haiti and was doing food distribution to orphanages. And that's where he ended up meeting our kids. And so adoption had already been on the table and in conversations early in our married life, and then just really fell in love with our two kids when they were very little.
1: Well, that's an incredible story and certainly one that not very many people can tell.
0: <laughs> yes, it's been a unique experience by far.
1: So not only did that lead to the adoption of a couple of children, but the Haiti experience really led to the development of the alliance as well, correct?
0: Absolutely, yes. Yes. So my, my heart was just broken for all of these kids in orphanages globally, but I also realized the same thing was happening right in our own backyard. We all know that there's broken commitments and broken relationships everywhere, and divorce is happening all the time, and, and kids that are experiencing childhood trauma and not growing up in safe living environments. And so the, the foster system is, is a perfect example of that here in the U.S. And so I just started becoming an advocate for kids without a voice and kids without a family. And so that actually started first at our local church. My husband and I started a foster care and adoption ministry where we wanted everyone in our church involved. We felt like from kids ministry all the way up to, you know, the retired community, there's something everyone can do. And so through that, I created amazing connections throughout Placer County with agencies, with nonprofits, with other faith-based organizations that had support groups and just started piecing together this, what I call the thousand piece puzzle of what what does our community need to provide to make sure that kids are safe and that families are supported. And so that's really what the impetus was to start an organization called the Alliance Now that really, really is defending kids, protecting families, fighting for everyone to feel like they have that stable base.
1: And that's actually a great transition to the next question of maybe a better explanation of the Alliance. So unlike an organization that maybe serves a specific cause, or need, it appears that maybe you're more of an aggregator of nonprofits with similar missions and sometimes maybe even competitive. Can you speak to that a bit more to help me understand the collaborative nature of what it is you're doing?
0: Absolutely. The Alliance is a network of agencies, nonprofits, professionals, community service organizations, and churches that are actively in the space of supporting vulnerable kids and families. And we knew that there was a lot of amazing resources already here already in the greater sacramento already happening already available but what i was noticing over and over again was that organizations wouldn't necessarily know what others provided or what others were doing or there was quite a bit of competition because all of these organizations they need a base of volunteers and they need donors they need funds to help advance the programs that they have for the community. And so the alliance is actually a cause-based network. We operate somewhat similarly to a chamber of commerce, but instead of for a specific city, we're for the cause of vulnerable kids. So any of those organizations that have services or support for this population are invited to be a part of the alliance so that we can actually do this together and we can work shoulder to shoulder because we know that the needs are great. And when we can cross-refer people, um, you know, housing's need, sometimes food's in need, sometimes support and and encouraging people like mentors or advocates are in need. And so we can provide that better when those organizations are actually working together.
1: And when we were talking a little bit before we actually got started, you mentioned that there are specific causes that the Alliance itself fuels. Tell me a little bit more about that as well.
0: We want to look for gaps in the system, and so one of the beautiful things of having this cohesive group of over 50 organizations is we can see what resources are available, and we can plug people into those, but we also see where there are gaps where there's training or resource gaps or where there's needs that need to be met, whether they're volunteer needs or donation needs or what services are just not easily or readily available to kids. And so that's one of the areas that the Alliance gets to step in and create programs, create services to provide directly to kids and families. And so one of the the my, one of my favorites is our area needs database. All of those agencies and nonprofits we partner with, they have regular either staff needs or needs for the family they serve. And so we get to actually promote those to a community who is wanting to look for ways to find purpose or give back and then we just make great connections. And so our last year alone we had 8,700 needs items donated through the alliance that went directly to all of our partners in the community meeting the needs of kids and families.
1: That's incredible and that clarifies my misunderstanding actually and I'm sure many people's when they think of an alliance it's a group but you serve dual purposes.
0: We are a bridge. We actually, we know that there's this great need in our community to support vulnerable kids. It's greater now than it's ever been because the National Survey of Children's Health in 2018 said that half of children in the United States have experienced a childhood trauma. So 50% of kids in every classroom, in every sporting team, in in every neighborhood have experienced trauma. But we all went through 2020 and kids had all of their normalcy activities and school and connections and resources and family and friends taken away in some extent for some amount of time and so now i would suggest that every single child in the united states has experienced at least micro trauma and so we need a whole collective community that can come together so again the alliance is just the bridge we know that there's great needs in our community and we're inviting community members that might like to help and become support systems to serve with those agencies and nonprofits on the front lines.
1: Who are some of the organizations that participate in the alliance and what would they say is the benefit of being partnered with you guys?
0: Absolutely. We partner with foster agencies like Lilliput and coindinia Family Services and Stanford Sierra Youth Solutions. We partner with community centers. We partner with single moms groups like Single Moms Strong or Sierra Pregnancy and Health, which is a free pregnancy center here in Roseville. Any of those services that touch the lives of a child or a family, providing parenting classes or resources. We love the full gamut from, from prevention services that help keep families together to the foster care and adoption world, which we term intervention for kids that need a new safe environment to call home to support. And we're supporting social workers and single parents and and everybody in the community that's just needing some extra help. And the members that we partner with, they love being part of the Alliance because we are their advocate as well. So we're getting their name out in the community and talking about the amazing resources they provide. We're connecting leaders through networking events that we host so that organizations are actually partnering better because we we know that when people meet each other, whether it's face-to-face or on Zoom, they have much more likelihood of collaborating on a project, on a fundraiser, or just picking up the phone and calling each other when they need to cross-refer the same family for a different resource. And then again, like I said, we're getting needs met. And so all of our agency and nonprofit partners now have a source to let us know, what what do you need? And we're going to put it out there to our community, and then we're seeing those needs fulfilled very quickly for them, which has been a huge benefit to being part of a cohesive, collaborative group like the Alliance.
1: Wonderful explanation. It's very, very clear for anybody who's trying to piece this conversation together. So you mentioned the support of the Alliance to the organizations. How is the Alliance actually supported? Where does the money come from?
0: We have multiple streams. We are a member-based organization. So those agencies and nonprofits that we partner with do have member dues, but that is a very small, like less than 10% part of our budget. We are mainly supported by incredible donors and business sponsors. People who say, hey, this is a complex problem. How can I help? And we have the benefit of seeing, again, that bird's eye view of what what is needed and then everything that funnels through the alliances for the entire community so our our resources our website our events our services our soon to be new office space even that will be a co-working space so everything we have then becomes available to our 50 members and beyond and we're we're bringing community members in we're teaching free workshops and classes and so everything donors and business sponsors give is really helping a much larger population so we have some amazingly generous people that support the alliance
1: and embedded in that answer you answered another question i had you said- 50 members, which is, that's an incredible group of people. That's a lot of different agencies involved.
0: Yes. Yeah. Over, we've, we're five years old. We launched this in 2016. We just had our fifth birthday in April. And it's been amazing to see people setting aside either personal differences or a, a lot of organizational leaders are absolutely focused on their mission, which is why they're so excellent at leading their organizations. And so we're just asking for them to, to expand their vision just enough to see what's going on right around them and inviting them into those collaborative conversations. We just host a think tank this week for a nonprofit that would like to start a sports program for foster youth, but they don't know anything about the foster care system. So I was able to gather people so from social workers to nonprofit directors to people who are CASAs, which is court-appointed advocates, all around the table to say, here's what to do and here's what not to do. So he's already able to put some of the logistics together for this new program that will hopefully launch in the fall that will have way more success because it's been spoken into by a network of people who want to see it work because it's another resource. It's another gap in the system that we'd love to see more kids in sports because there's way better outcomes in school and relationships when they have an an outlet like that.
1: Especially post-COVID.
0: Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. When we can get back together in person and it's outdoors and there's less restrictions and, oh, they have a coach that's cheering them on. There's nothing better than being part of that team.
1: Totally agreed. So what are some of the goals And objectives, let's say, that the organization has, and and on those measurables, how do you gauge your success?
0: We have four goals. Our first goal is unity. We want all of the organizations in our greater Sacramento area and beyond. We've partnered actually throughout the nation and in Canada since of, since COVID because several of our resources went online. And I'll share more about that in a minute. But we want organizations specifically in Sacramento County, Placer County, Yolo County, and El Dorado County working together. So wins there are we host quarterly networking events. And we love it when our organizations come together. They're changing business cards if we're meeting in person. They're emailing each other after a Zoom meeting, and they're just getting to know and be in relationship with each other. So that's a huge win. We've seen some beautiful stories come out of that, where some of our members actually co-host fundraisers and split the proceeds three or four ways because they all realized they were hosting a golf tournament or a five K around the same time, anyways. So they're doing it together instead of separately now. And other organizations that might have um, gotten an overabundance of supplies, like one of one of our groups um, got. A bunch of diapers and didn't have enough storage. And so immediately picked up the phone and called two of our other partner organizations who serve little children. And so now they're immediately dispersing those diapers to someone else instead of hoarding them. You know, we just, mm-hmm. we're seeing sharing of ideas and sharing of resources happen like they haven't happened before. So that's huge. Our next goal is to connect families in crisis with resources. We know that a family in crisis cannot even fathom the, the, the amount of information that's out there on the internet of where to go and what to do and who to talk to, and sometimes it just becomes so overwhelming. And so families in crisis can contact us if they are in need of a counselor, if they're in need of a housing program, if they're in need of resources for their kids, and we can plug them in with all of the organizations that we actually know personally and send those personalized introductions or the personalized phone calls that connects them right with the resource manager or the operations manager at those organizations as opposed to just, you know, sending a website link. And so we just feel like those hand-holding opportunities when someone's in crisis, we've all had crises of our own, and we want somebody to just walk through it with us. And so we're doing that for families in our community. Next, we know that serving vulnerable populations is challenging parenting my own kids has posed its its unique situations and challenges because of their past trauma and and the same is true for kids in the foster system and so we equip individuals and groups who want to serve this population we know that there's some extra special tools and parenting strategies and resources that can be used so we actually have workshops that we teach in person we have we just launched in february an online learning center which we're so excited about where we're actually pre-recording content for families to watch at home. So our first arsenal of four courses is available now, and it's all on trauma-informed care for different populations of kids. And so people can get resources at the touch of a button, which is awesome. Our next and a final goal is mobilization. We feel like the whole community could do something to help kids and families. And so what does that look like? So some people will call us up and say, hey, I want to help, but I don't know where I fit. And so then we have questions and conversation with them about what their availability is and what group of kids they like to work with and what you know maybe what skill sets or job experience they have that could be really beneficial and so we're helping plug volunteers in with the right organization that really fits their their talents we also mobilize people through that area needs database like i mentioned we had a huge group of people serving from home during covid because they were just meeting needs at the click of a button you know they we had amazon wish lists and we had other opportunities to give virtually, like giving gift cards to social workers or food for families around the holidays. And able being able to do that and feel like you're supporting your community even from home is a fantastic thing.
1: Well, if there was any doubt that the organization itself versus its alliance of organization gets involved, I think you clearly laid that out. It was a <laughs> wonderful, wonderful description. What sort of events that you provide have changed as a result of COVID and how do you execute them differently now that we're coming out of the COVID pandemic?
0: Yes, we host three large-scale annual events, and I'm so proud of our team and our network of organizations because we didn't cancel anything last year. We knew the needs in our community were higher than ever, and so we didn't want to take a step back because distance and virtual challenges were readily apparent. We said we need to to step up and to step into those spaces even more. So um, our first and my very favorite event of the year is called A Night to Celebrate, and that's where we actually actually honor all of the organizational leaders at those agencies, nonprofits, and community-based service organizations. In 2020, we actually got to host it in person because it was right before the pandemic. But this year when 2021 kicked off, we didn't wanna cancel that event because that's where so many collaborative conversations start during the year. So we hosted a virtual dessert and literally delivered to people's doorsteps, like their Starbucks gift card and their real like beautiful dessert box of their you know, various goodies that they got. And then we brought them all together in a really fun Zoom event where they were in breakout rooms and they do leader speed dating. They're literally saying what their organization does and what they do there and what their top goal is for this year so they can work together. So that was a really fun virtual event. We cannot wait to get back to in-person in 2022, but that event did not have to get canceled. Next, we host an annual childhood trauma conference. This is year six of this conference. And last year, we did have to host it virtually for the very first time. We had 200 people still attending the conference virtually because we made it on demand. It was available the day of the conference mm-hmm. on Saturday, so people could watch from the comfort of their own home. But we made all of the sessions that we pre-recorded available for people to watch at their leisure afterwards. And so we also completely changed the topic. We we have themes each year of what we focus on in childhood trauma, but last year's theme was chaos and disruption because we were all experiencing chaos and disruption at home. So we're just we're excited to kind of hybrid that model this year. We'll have some in-person opportunities to do watch parties. And so I think a lot of our member organizations will host the event live where people will be in the same room together, but we will technically pre-record and everything for the breakout so people can access it again, like they did. Because we had people attend from Arkansas and Texas and Canada, and it was so fun to get to provide resources for a larger base. And then our final event used to be called Standing Up for Kids and Families. It was a large scale expo with hundreds of people where they would just come and meet all of our members. So it's kind of like just booths and all of those agencies and nonprofits would get to share what they do and how people could partner with them. We knew we could not host a large scale event like that in 2020. So we turned it into a six week campaign called Be a Difference Maker. And we outlined 22 ways that anyone in our community could be a difference for a child or a family in need. And that's where we just saw this massive response Response. And so we might be able to host it an in person kickoff event for that be a difference maker campaign this year. Um, we're, we're navigating that now and waiting to see how, as COVID, you know, the, the curve continues to flatten and people get vaccinated and can be together. We might host an in person, but that six week campaign will never change that we are going to be difference makers every year, especially going into the holidays for the kids and families in our community.
1: So If there were one thing that you would like a listener to take away from the discussion, there's one thing that's an overriding, just empowering, engaging comment, phrase, Mm -hmm. sentence, what would you say?
0: The formative years for children change everything. They literally, broken families and unstable environments for kids is the number one cause of every other societal issue that we're currently facing, facing from racism, to homelessness, to incarcerations, to teen suicide or teen pregnancy, to human trafficking. These are all major issues that require us to be aware of what's happening right here in our community but we need to go upstream as an entire group of people that care about our society, that care about our community. We need to go upstream and make sure kids have safe environments at a very early age. And it seems complex. The foster system has its own complexities and meeting the needs of family in crisis can be inconvenient at the least and very challenging at the most. But at the same time, this collective response, if we mobilize an entire community of people who are looking for ways to serve the kids in their neighborhood, to serve the kids in their, their classrooms or in your workspace if you work with kids, to, to meet the needs of a family, even if it's delivering a meal or a gift or a phone call where you're just bringing encouragement. When we respond as a community, we can see lives transformed and we can see just statistics change literally in all of those other societal areas. And so I just encourage people to stop and think about your own childhood what were your wins? What things did you love? What what appreciation do you have for the parents and the environment that you grew up in? And how can you bring help and hope to other kids and families?
1: I can't tell you how many times the, the people who are engaged in their organizations, the passion for their cause is always part of our greater societal issues. And mm. they're all right. They are. Every one of them is correct. Because you can tie it back to something early in life. Yes. And, and I'm, I'm smiling a bit because the listener doesn't know that we're doing this in the morning. But <laughs> I, I would say that you've had your cup of coffee and your pace and passion and enthusiasm for what you're doing is so, so clear. And I think it starts with just your engagement from the Haitian experience to the involvement and getting so deep into it that you were willing to adopt two children and continue that forward. So if somebody's interested in reaching out and understanding a little bit more about the organization, how would you say is the the best way to connect? And what are some of your other social uh, handles so people understand what that is?
0: Yes, we have a very well-rounded website with resources for families. So for if your family's in crisis, there's family resources. If you want to attend one of our workshops or events or our, our conference, information is all there on our website. So that's defendingthecause.org. Um, but we also have amazing communities online. And so you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. We're at the Alliance DTC for defending the cause on all of those mediums. And we're, we're just, we're in our community. We're excited to get back into in-person events in our community. And we'd love for you to connect with us. We have a monthly newsletter. We don't want to bombard anybody, but the beauty of our newsletter is we tell you what all of our members, all 50 organizations are doing in one email. And we only send that to you on the first of every month. And so if you have a passion to learn more about vulnerable kids and families and how you can make a difference, um, subscribing to our newsletter, checking out our blog, and certainly um, visiting our website would be a fantastic way to start.
1: I love what you guys are doing. And thank you so much for your commitment to it. Thank you for the opportunity to talk to you and to allow us to share it on the Nonprofit Podcast Network as well. And congratulations to you. Continue and good luck.
0: Thank you, Jeff. It's been a pleasure to join you uh, today, this morning. And I did have my coffee today. It was a great, great start to the day. But this, this conversation was wonderful. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to the Nonprofit Podcast Series. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If what you heard moved you, please reach out to that organization and do what you can to help. If you like and appreciate what we're doing to support local nonprofits, please give us a positive review, subscribe, and share. If you're a nonprofit with an interest in participating in an episode, you can reach us at info at multipointstrategies.com. The Nonprofit Podcast Network is a production of Multipoint Content Strategies and is recorded and edited by Hear Me Now Studio.